Rochelle M. N. Shaw. You're listening to Books Are Like Onions, Episode 2, The Do's and Don'ts of Writing a First Draft. This episode and previous ones can be found on my website at rochellemnshaw.com slash podcast, as well as through the Google Play Store and iTunes. These past few months have been a whirlwind for me. I took a break from my own writing to spend time with family, and I even got to attend a writing conference last month where I helped lead a first-page critique event, and I met friends from an online writing group I've been part of for years. I also recently started exercising several times a week, but I won't lie, it's been really tough sometimes. Finding the motivation to keep going is challenging. However, without that consistency, I know I won't see the results I want. So I don't know about you, but first drafts are a lot like that for me. In fact, writing in general can be a struggle some days. I'm an expert at procrastination, but even more often than that, I nitpick about the specifics in my own work and get stuck as a result. I've also been known to set huge unrealistic goals for myself, which, as it turns out, is a great formula for failure. I don't recommend it. So today, I'm going to provide a few tips I've learned over the years. Things I wish someone had told me when I was just beginning my writing journey. First, the do's. Do plan out your book. Now, I know not all of you are as into organizing as I am, and that's okay. But even having a skeleton of an outline is better than nothing, believe me. It's super easy to get derailed by some side character who's pleading with you to follow them, or to be intimidated by the blank screen staring you in the face. I've been there, I've done that, and it's not worth the frustration. Here's another do for you. Before you start writing, consider doing some preliminary research. Why? This will make internal consistency easier, and it will likely spark loads of ideas for incorporating subplots into your first draft. Okay, so bear with me as I go off on a tangent here for a minute. Internal consistency, as it relates to writing, has to do with how the details of your story line up. Things like the timeline of events, rules of the universe, character facts, and even the use of certain clothing or objects if you're dealing with something like a historical fiction piece. When you have a world that lacks continuity, bad things happen. You'll dig yourself into a deeper and deeper hole until you can't climb out. And even if you do manage to weasel your way out of it, you'll probably end up with irritated readers. A messy construct of details in your story is easy to spot and it'll shoot down the credibility and believability of your story faster than anything. If you want more tips on internal consistency in writing, you can find them on a blog post I wrote a while back called Good Writing Matters Internal Consistency. A link to that blog post can be found in the show notes for this episode. Okay, so back to research now. Even if you're writing about things that can't happen in real life, you still need to seek out background information. A story without facts blended in, no matter the genre, won't resonate well with readers. To make an unbelievable world believable, it has to be grounded in concepts readers are already familiar with and can relate to. A great example of this is the series The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. In the series, Katniss and her family deal with tremendous struggles just within the first few pages. Issues such as poverty, oppression, and hunger are clear not to mention a split between the nation and its different factions. And while our world hasn't quite reached the same level of destruction, the issues covered in that series are still things that we can relate to, things that we see repercussions of every single day, on the news, and sometimes even within our own neighborhood, sadly. That's one of the main reasons the series is so heartbreaking and why it resonates so well with readers. 
In her books, Suzanne Collins paints a vivid picture that is both disturbing and very emotional, something that, when done right, can leave a heck of an impact on readers. Although her story is completely fictional, the topics that it approaches, unfortunately, are not, but it establishes a profound connection with readers, which is something every author wants. On to the next two. If you struggle with wanting to correct things before moving on, like I often do, one of the best things you could do for yourself is to get the first draft out before you make corrections. Now, I'm not saying this will work for everyone, but if your corrections cause you to get so stuck in the present scene that you can't move on until it's perfected, that's when you have a problem, because it's getting in the way of your productivity. I completely understand that shutting off your inner editor can be tough, sometimes impossible. But if there aren't any words on the page, then there's nothing to build upon. So it's in your best interest to set aside your doubts, stop trying to correct yourself, and just get the words down. Next, do set goals for yourself. Just make sure they're achievable and realistic. One approach I love to use is something called SMART goals, except that I found a bigger and even better version of it called SMARTER goals. So here's a link, but if you're in your car or you're not at your computer and you can't jot this down, don't worry. You'll be able to find the link in my show notes. When you get a chance, head on over to www.adaringadventure.com slash whysmartgoalsuck. Just add a hyphen between each of the words in that last part. Okay, so what are SMART goals and how do we make them smarter? SMART is an acronym for a method of setting goals that many companies use to meet their quotas. First off is S. S stands for specific. For instance, here's a specific goal. I will write one scene for my book every other day, or I'll write X amount of words per day. Setting a specific goal leads to ones that are M for measurable. And by setting a measurable goal, you'll be able to tell when you've reached the finish line. With measurable goals, you'll have an allotted amount of time to complete a specific task. With that, your goal becomes A or achievable. Achievable goals will boost your confidence, and before you know it, you'll have an end product that you might have felt was impossible to do before you started the process. The one thing you want to be careful about with setting achievable goals, though, is to make sure there are for realistic. For example, are you setting too big of a goal for yourself? How will you accomplish it? Can breaking it down into smaller steps work better? What approach works best for you? Also, whatever you do, don't set goals that have factors out of your control. This is an extreme example, but it illustrates this point well, so go with me. Let's say you want to write a 50,000-word novel in a month. This is actually doable. There's an event called National Novel Writing Month that takes place every year in November, in which thousands of writers from around the world sit down at their keyboards with a notepad or what have you, and hammer out as many words as they can until they reach their 50,000-word goal. Let's say that you set a goal like that, but you tell yourself that you'll only write on the days that it rains, or on the days that it snows, or if the temperature is above a certain amount. Not only will you be setting yourself up for failure, but you're also making built-in excuses not to write. In short, it's a really bad idea, so don't do that to yourself. Instead, set goals that are action-oriented. That is, ones that require action on your part in order to achieve them. Without that, your goals could remain unfulfilled. 
One last thing to focus on for the relevant slash realistic piece of your goal. Think about the timing of it and what's going on in your life. Is this a goal you can actually achieve right now, or is there something that might prevent you from doing so? Is it a goal that's worthwhile to you as well? Sometimes those questions can be difficult to answer. My own personal struggle with this usually crops up in autumn, which is why National Novel Writing Month isn't really a good fit for me at this time. By then, school started up for the kids, and even though I go into the season feeling like I have unlimited time to accomplish things, in reality, there are extra appointments, school projects, holidays, and illnesses that honestly plague us for months on end. So my point is, even if you feel like conquering the world when you first set a goal, sometimes it's good to take a step back, reevaluate the situation, and even set the bar a little lower if you need to. And that's not failure, by the way. Life happens, and it gets in the way for all of us at times. What you don't want to do is make your goals so difficult that they become unattainable. Because if that happens, chances are you'll lose the energy and enthusiasm you first had for them, and you might even give up altogether. So make sure you really consider just how realistic those goals are when you set them. Now it's time for tea. Time bout. When can you complete your goal? This is where I miss the mark more often than I'd like to. On any given day, I think I can write a lot more than I actually can. The way to beat this is by setting multiple deadlines for smaller goals within the overall goal. That way, you'll be more likely to meet your goal within the set time frame. Let's move on to my favorite part, which is making those goals smarter. First, let's add an E for ecological. Ecological goals need to be relevant to a bigger picture. This is similar to making sure they're realistic and that they'll fit in with your current schedule and circumstances, but it's slightly different. So if tackling the goals that you've set is going to hurt your relationships, your health, or if they're so time-consuming that it's added extra stress, you might want to rethink them. That doesn't mean that you can't achieve them. It just means that you might need to break them down into smaller steps or set a more realistic approach to meeting those goals. Now comes the final R for rewarding. What value do these goals have for you? Are they fulfilling and worthwhile in your mind? If not, you'll have a hard time being motivated to do them, especially when things get tough and you have to push yourself in order to achieve them. So ask yourself, to what end are you wanting to achieve your writing goals? Do you simply want to write a book? Do you want to publish it? Do you want to become a best-selling author? Is writing a passion tied to your lifelong dream, or is it simply something you want to check off your bucket list? Your answers to those questions could change your entire outlook to the process, so it's a good idea to figure them out up front. Now that we've tackled smarter goals, here are a few more do's for you. When you're in the zone and you need to work in some details, but you don't really have time to stop without losing your pace, Put a placeholder in for things like facts, names, descriptions, and other items that you might need to add more to later. This allows you to focus on the piece as a whole and move forward with the draft. The placeholder could be anything you like, any string of symbols, profanities, or words of your choosing, just so long as you know what it means and that you'll have to come back to it later. My personal preference is to write a very vague description and highlight it or leave a comment on it as a note to myself. Next do. Turn off anything that will be a distraction. That means electronics, Wi-Fi, or anything else you might be tempted by. And if you have a hard time focusing, 
Set a timer and write in smaller increments, being sure to reward yourself when you meet that goal. This is actually the foundation for a fabulous writing group on Facebook called 10-Minute Novelists that I am proudly part of. There are also great websites like Written Kitten and others that can motivate you while you're typing. Next, do concentrate on why things are happening as you write each scene rather than the actual event itself. It's easy to get bogged down in mundane descriptions, but knowing what's driving that scene as you hammer out the words can keep you going. Here's a pro tip I learned from April White, author of the Immortal Descendants series, which is an awesome young adult time travel series. So if you're into that sort of thing, I highly recommend reading her books. Anyway, her tip is this. End the scene you're writing on a cliffhanger. That way, when you pick it back up again, you won't be stuck knowing where to go. Another do is know your basic theme. This goes along with the outlining stage. It also helps tremendously to identify your target audience right off the bat. That will allow you to fall into your natural voice as a writer while catering the content to your audience. Last, do prioritize your projects and goals. Staring at a pile of things to do can be overwhelming, so organizing your notes and goals into a single, more manageable list will keep you on target. Now for the don'ts. Don't be overly critical of the words on the page. The first draft doesn't need to be a masterpiece. It doesn't need to be perfect. It simply needs to be finished. Don't blame writer's block on your lack of progress. Although, I'll be the first to admit I'm guilty of this myself. Over the past decade, I've come to realize that the only thing blocking me from writing isn't a lack of inspiration or an organized desk in a quiet environment, even if those things do help. Instead, it's the countless excuses I make. Likewise, don't get hung up on the details. My first drafts in particular are riddled with errors and inconsistencies, ones that my inner editor screams at me to fix. It's hard to move past a typo glaring at you from the other side of the screen, and it's even tougher to set aside a scene and move forward when you know there's some tweaks to be had. But first drafts are actually the key to unlocking a great writing habit and a great book. Without first drafts, you can't move forward or improve. It's as simple as that. Next, don't wait for the ending to pop into your head. If it's pre-planned, there's less of a risk of you falling down endless rabbit holes. Knowing where your story is going can keep you moving forward. The last tip I want to leave you with is don't be afraid to overwrite. It is so, so much easier to take things out than it is to squeeze them in later. It's also a hard habit to break. If you struggle with first drafts, I promise you you're not alone. In fact, my self-improvement project for this whole year has been learning to push out that first draft, even if it's complete garbage, which it absolutely is most of the time. But I remind myself that being a good writer isn't about writing a perfect draft or even pleasing every reader who picks up your book, both of which are impossible, by the way. Good writers simply persevere and push forward, continually improving their craft even when they don't feel like it. Developing a good writing habit is so much like exercising. Each skill you learn targets a unique muscle, and those muscles get flabby over time if you don't work them. Your writing skills will too. The more time you spend writing, the stronger you'll become at it. Develop a routine habit of writing, and you'll be surprised at just how quickly you can turn out first drafts eventually. Look, I know it's true that I myself am no Stephen King, Blake Crouch, Jeffrey Devier, or any of the other greats I'd love to share the spotlight with. 
but making progress in any stage counts for something. So remember that the next time you get discouraged or you sit down to write a first draft. The last thing I'd like to leave you with is a quote from John Wooden. He was a Hall of Fame basketball player and coach who won 10 NCAA national championships in a 12-year period as head coach at UCLA. He knows a thing or two about pushing yourself. As he said, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. Personally, I couldn't agree more. You can find the show notes for this podcast and others on my website at rochellemnshawl.com slash podcast. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback and any tips you may have for improvement. You can reach me on my website or by emailing me at rmns at rochellemnshawl.com. You can also find me on your favorite social media site. Join me next time for episode three, writing what you don't know. Until then, happy writing and thank you for listening to the podcast Books Are Like Onions.